What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Tom Westerholm, joined today by Chris Grenham and MassLive.com's Brian Robb. Fellas, how's everybody doing? Pretty fantastic. After the Wizards are now up 2-0 in the Geno Time Super Bowl, so I'm doing well. Are they 4-1 overall? What's the 5-1? What's the... 5-1 overall. NBA's best team? By far. Yes. By far. I mean, this is... Yeah, that defense, best in the league. (laughs) No, that uh, the defense that the Celtics uh, could not solve from three-point range last night. We're recording this on Sunday morning after the Celtics lost in double overtime, 115-112 to 112 to the Wizards. We're going to talk about the game itself and then probably get into some basic like concern level stuff, which I'm sure we'll talk about throughout the, uh, our conversation about the game as well. So let's, I mean, let's start with the three-point shooting just because I feel like we have to, even though I'm not sure how much there really is to say about it. But I mean, any takeaways other than just like, sometimes everybody's cold at the same time or, or were there other things kind of at work there that you guys saw? I think everyone was cold at the same time. I mean, for me, I, I don't know. It, it was unfortunate because it feels like just a couple weeks ago, the Celtics after a loss were saying, well, we're not all going to shoot like that again, or Jason Tatum's not going to shoot like that against the Knicks again. And it happened. And I don't know. I mean, they did miss like a decent amount of open looks early on in this one. I mean, I, I think it wasn't as discouraging as it could have been because this team has struggled to get easy looks a lot this year. And they did have some decent looks in this game that they missed. So I think that's a, a little silver lining in it, I would say. Hasn't Ime basically said that like three times this season? Like, yeah, yeah we're not going to shoot like that again. And then it's like, they don't shoot exactly like that, but they shoot in a very different, very bad way instead. Yeah, they were going to shoot that, but they're going to shoot worse. They're going to shoot historically bad. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, like like Chris said, you, I was... The encouraging part of that was they were getting up and looks. I think in the second half, they, for a large part of it, they went away from the three-point line, which I think was great in terms of like, I think kept them in that game to a large degree and obviously kept, put them in a position to win that game until they kind of went back to it in overtime too much. The The bigger concern for me right now is the three-point shooting, you know, was bad last night through the first, I know it's a small sample size. The first six games has not been good for the guys you want to be shooting well. When Dennis Schroeder is your best high-volume three-point shooter right now, at 35%, that's a problem. Yeah. And Tatum is, I think, one of his last 15 from three, you know, going back to the first Wizards game. Jalen Brown is at, I want to say, 32%, and and Smart and Horford are at 23 and 21%, respectively. So that wasn't a last night thing, obviously, it was Smart, but yeah, it, it we thought offense was going to be the question mark going to the air for this team, and if the threes aren't falling, it becomes even, you know, a, a bigger issue, I feel like, for that group at least. The fact that not the Celtics aren't going to be playing the Wizards every night, right, where there's going to be this, like, incredibly porous defense around the rim. Like, Jalen Brown took complete advantage. And like you said, B-Rob, I thought that was one of the real positives with the, was that the Celtics went directly inside. Like, you know, Jalen was, like, excellent, just kind of knifing through everybody and getting to the rim and hitting all those layups and everything. Like, that was really impressive. But at the same time, like, the, the paint isn't going to be that open. Like Montrez Harrell isn't going to be the opposing, you know, defensive center every single night. And on those nights, if threes aren't falling, it's going to be a lot more problematic. And I know Grenham, you've, you've been yelling about this like since preseason. And I mean, there was, you know, a little disagreement on this end, but I, the, I guess the level to which this team struggles offensively, the level to which there is no spacing, I think is, is really concerning. It's totally concerning. And and there's not a whole lot of options to get that spacing. Like you can find increased spacing when, if you were to turn to maybe a guy like Neesmith or Pritchard and stuff, but 
how long can you turn to those guys? You're not going to close with those guys every night, that sort of thing. So I think Emi Odoka is a little bit limited in finding some of those spacing options, which, yeah, I've, I've talked about a lot over the last month or so, it feels like. But B-Rob, to your point, I thought it was interesting because they did work inside more. They went away from the three-point shooting a little bit when they were struggling, which I thought was a positive for them. But then they take the six-point lead in overtime. And then they reverted right back to it. So I think Emi Odoka talked about the fact that Montrezl Harrell had five fouls. They wanted to go at him. And then they started settling back on the perimeter. I thought that was interesting because I get like, it's kind of habitual for NBA teams at this point. They sort of fall back on the perimeter shots. It's just kind of where the game is, I guess. But it was weird because it was working when they were going inside and they weren't relying so much on the shots that they weren't hitting last night. And when they got that six point lead in the first overtime, it just clicked right back to them settling for some outside shots. And I thought that was interesting because they did a good job to adjust. And then it kind of just all of a sudden went away around when they got that six point lead. I think that was to your point, that was terrific to blow that six point lead in the game like that. Yeah. They, like the wizards couldn't, neither team could score at that point. So you get up by six, you have three minutes left. And not only did they take threes, they also took some quick shots. And like you said, really took care off the hook. Like Harold wants to stay in that game. So he's not going to foul you. So just keep doing what you're doing. And they eventually got him out in the second overtime for that reason. But, you know, they, it just seemed like they were going for the dagger over and over again, as opposed to like, listen, if you score one more basket here, it's probably curtains. You know, you guys keep playing defense well and they just couldn't pull it off. And that's, I mean, even that's, that's a concerning trend for me, for this team as a whole, from even the last, these last two seasons, like just their inability to close because they've had, we've already seen this a bunch of times this year where, you know, you're in a spot to close out a game that can't do it. Yeah, it's weird. They don't they don't like when they have made adjustments earlier in the game. It's like when it comes to crunch time. And like you said, this happened last year. They fall back on these other habits that haven't been working in the game. It's like they have trouble with those in-game adjustments sometimes when it comes down to the wire. Like they made the Wizards defense look somewhat good for that last, I don't know, three minute stretch of overtime when realistically they were kind of doing it to themselves. Like the Wizards defense wasn't really doing a whole lot to keep them out on the perimeter, they were kind of doing it to themselves a little bit, but I enjoyed seeing wizards fans on Twitter being like wizards locked down. Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if it was all that much. <laughs> well, I mean, even if you look at, I think I can't remember if it was the final play of regulation, but the final play of the first overtime, I think it was regulation, but you look at that play. I mean, and Scalabrini pointed this out on the broadcast. He's absolutely right. Like Jalen Brown comes around, like he comes around with the ball and he has Beal beat to the basket. Right. And he yep. settled for that jumper. And it was like, you know, I've been one of the people who's been screaming about how bad Jason Tatum ISOs have been, especially down the stretch. And and not before last night's game when Tatum was awful, you know, he was already at like 0.6 points per possession on isolation plays. And they make up like 22% of his offense, like just way too much ISO. Like, so I've been one of the people who's been like, Jalen should get last second shots like that. But then like, you know, Jalen falls off and like takes like a pull up long too for just no reason. I mean, I know he can hit those shots, but it was like, he had a whole lane to the basket. If he goes right at the rim, I feel like he probably gets a bucket there. And I feel like that was really indicative of what you guys are saying. It's just, they, it feels like they don't necessarily know what to do in crunch time. Like they just don't have a sense for it. And yeah, he, he was off balance when he took that shot two times. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Like that's, he had two seconds. I mean, maybe you just rushed it too much. And you know, this happens. It's like, you want to, you want to make sure you get the shot off. But yeah, he, like you said, he had him beat and he still had Jalen Brown get to the rim in probably like one second. He had three seconds there. So like even just to, you know, give the pump fake there, he could have really steadied himself. So that was, that was a tough opportunity. And I don't know, what do you guys think? I mean, like end of the first overtime, no time out there, pretty like horrific shot Tatum turning into a double team. Like, oh, yeah. 
I mean, Awful. I don't know what Udo. I mean, late game management from Ime has not been great for these situations, and just in terms of feel for that stuff, I feel like it just didn't look like there was any secondary action there. Like they were just so like, it was what an awful look that can't be the look that you get on a final possession like that. It was brutal. Well, and it looked like initially wanted to draw something up to get the ball to Jalen, but then like Jalen just couldn't free himself. Right. Like right. that he just kept like cutting back and forth and back and forth. And then finally Schroeder was just like, okay, it's either going to be me or Tatum. Somebody's got to do this. And then Tatum yeah. was like, here, give me the right. ball. And then he hoisted up that. Like, it's like, okay, out. call a timeout there though. Yeah, like if you know, yeah, for sure. That's it's like I understand you dog is like, yeah, we don't, you know, we don't want to get defensive personnel on the floor. Like they're the wizards. Yeah, who are they gonna get step the in the game like, who are you not, scared of? Who are you scared of? Like Old <laughs> Neto's coming onto that floor, guys. You guys right? don't understand. Like what Aaron Holiday is really like, you know, <laughs> sends shiver down your spine. No, like calls him out. You guys haven't been able to score for three minutes. At least get some secondary action or a look, a quality look. At least like for the Jalen one, at least it was a, like a, a, an open look in the beginning and the regulation coming out of a timeout there. Like that's the least you can do in that spot. And so stuff like that, when, when your team's struggling, like just call a timeout and if such a thing is going on. And you're right. Like that's a possession where it's very clear early on. Jalen's not getting free. It's very clear. It's not going your way early in that possession. It's not like the thing goes wrong in the last two seconds of the game, right? You have time to kind of call timeout, regroup and throw together a new action and, and run a new set. Like, I don't know. It just seemed like they could have handled that a little bit better. I agree. And real quick on the Jalen shot, part of me wonders, because he hit a similar shot. I think, was it at the end of regulation when he hit the shot? Over yeah, it was right the, before that. Yeah, the, like, right. The shot before. Part of me thinks maybe he was just trying to like recreate. He felt comfortable because he had hit it shortly before. And sometimes you see guys do that. So maybe that could have played into him sure. settling for that. But I, I totally agree. He could have easily beaten him into the paint. Like, don't take it if you're off balance there. Like, that's right. like, 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 just stop yourself. Or, I mean, I guess it's tough with that much time left, but do the pump fake or whatever. Like, yeah. get yourself set. And the other thing, too, personnel on the floor at the end of these, again, getting spacing, like Pritchard, just anyone, guys who at least teams are scared about taking threes in that spot. I think that's another reason you take time out there because when you have Richardson, Schroeder, and and Horford shooting 20% for oh three. Like it's, of course, Dan Tam's going to get doubled in that situation because what, what are you afraid of if you're Washington? Yep. You know, wait, real quick. Maybe, maybe I got a great idea. The Celtics could take Davis Berton's contract off the Wizards' hands. They need some shooting. It's great. Mm. That's a great way for Celtics <laughs> to get some shooting. Me to stop watching Berton's with the Wizards. It'll be fantastic. It's a great solution. Celtics just trade like Aaron Neesmith. He immediately goes to uh, to Washington <laughs> and starts shooting like 40% on eight attempts a game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I, I did want to ask, like we, we touched on it, but just how concerned are you guys with Tatum's start? I'm not overly concerned, to be honest. I mean, the, the three-point shooting is really what the issue is right now. And that's 27.3% through six games. He's a 39% career three-point shooter. That's going to come around, obviously, maybe not to that level. But when that's the biggest part of his game, that's an issue right now. and I mean, he's playing 39 minutes a night, and I think his struggles are kind of indicative of team-wide struggles of, like, the system that they're trying to put in is not really there yet. He's probably trying to do too much, and he's seeing more attention than ever because the guys around him on the court are not spacing the floor as much as you would run around an all-star like that. So uh, given the list of things to be concerned about the Celtics right now, like Tatum is, is pretty low on my list. What's your, what does your list look like, B-Rob? How much time you got? How much time you got? Brennan and I went incredibly hard on the Celtics last episode and, like, didn't really touch on, like, a lot of schematic stuff. We were mostly just, like, 
these guys are bums. If you had to like, you know, give like a list of like three major concerns, like what are your, what are your biggest ones right now? One would be just young guys not playing slash not playing well. I think it's one thing to be two and four. I think it's another thing to be two and four and then your young guys not getting much run at all. I think that's a big concern. Um, is this three straight DNP CDs for Aaron Neesmith? That is correct. Yeah. And, like, good Lord. And especially last night with smart out and I mean, and no one else can hit a three point shot in that game. You want to, you want to throw Neesmith out there for five minutes? See if he can hit a three. Like, um, that was really confusing to me. Makes yeah. no sense. It makes no sense. He I was sick. It. He was sick, I guess, Friday. So maybe they were staying That's away true. from that. So you don't, don't read too much into it for that reason. But at the same time, you know, why not? The number two has to be like the, you know, the inconsistent effort stuff. I think that's very real. I mean, I don't know how much that is versus scheme, like what you guys think of that versus scheme and like getting used to that versus having every, the fact that was the back last night, I think is a good sign, but yeah, again, for a new coach, for that to be an issue this much after a week is like, yikes. It feels like neither of those two feels like either way with a new coach, if the scheme is like not working, that's concerning. Guys are not grasping the scheme at all. That's concerning. Or if it is effort, to your point, that is also concerning in a very different way. You're up. I think your point about it being inconsistent is an important thing because last night it was, you know, you can't watch that game and say, all right, these guys aren't trying. Like they were, like they were playing really hard last night was more of a thing where they're not hitting anything from deep and it's a major part of their game. And obviously it's, it's difficult to kind of crawl back into a game if you're shooting that poorly they don't they have that inconsistent burst right like they weren't I wouldn't call them flat last night I would just say they shot really poorly and that was really the end all be all of that one but the inconsistent like flatness is not great because they don't have that like punchy in the mouth mentality and I think that's a concern the young guys stuff doesn't make much sense to me at all solely because the spacing is up there with my biggest concerns, the lack of spacing, I should say. And the young guys are some of the few guys on that roster who can provide you with just a little additional spacing. And I do think that would help this team through these stagnant stretches that they've been through. You know, you look at the first wizards game, they went through some brutal stretches offensively in that game where there was just nothing really happening. They were struggling to get, any easy looks against a pretty mediocre Wizards defense, yet Pritchard and Neesmith don't touch the floor, even like you said, for a five-minute stint. So the spacing concerns are up there on my list, but that is paired with the young guys not playing because I do think those, specifically Pritchard and Neesmith, even if it's for short stints, they can improve that spacing, albeit minimally, but they can improve it. And right now you desperately need that, especially in a game like last night when – there's just no perimeter threat really at all. I get that Jabari Parker adds some size. Like I get that that's kind of like why, you know, like where they're playing him. I mean, they have him running some like, like roll man, like pick and roll sets, that kind of thing. But at the same time, it's Jabari Parker is getting minutes. Aaron Neesmith is not. And it's like, well, the, the big issues are like effort and, or whatever it is, effort, you know, being the catch all phrase and spacing. And so, well, those are like the two things that Aaron Neesmith does. He like really tries and he shoots threes and like Jabari Parker doesn't really shoot threes. And I mean, like I thought Ennis Cantor was the worst defender I'd ever seen on the Celtics. And I think it's Jabari Parker now. And so fortunately the Celtics have both of them. Jabari is like, he's a target on every possession he's on the floor. Like, I mean, defensively, he really is as bad as advertised. And it's like, I don't, the size thing is not enough for me to think that he should, that Aaron Neesmith should not be getting these minutes that he's getting. No, it's. 
playing Jabari, like when you need a burst off the bench once in like in Charlotte, when he had it going, like, great. Right. Like yes. that's, that's, that's what the purpose of him to be the 12th, 13th, 14th man team. When you're seeing him, like you said, three straight games now, like he didn't play well against the Wizards Wednesday night. So it's like, okay, this is a matchup. They have a lot of shooting. Like you're going to go back to him again here. And not that he leaned on him hard last night, but it's just one of those things where Chris said, like you, you want to develop young guys, but these guys also help solve your spacing problem, at least in theory, or you at least have to find out if they can help and giving up on a guy after three, you know, three tough games to begin the year. It, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't make sense when you're not, when it's not translating into wins. And just real quick, what does that accomplish? Like what, what kind of development thing does that, like, are you completely out on Aaron Neesmith? Cause if you're completely out on him, I mean, like that's, that seems like very quick to be completely out on a guy. And like, if you bench him for a game, all right, whatever. Like I still don't necessarily agree with it, but whatever three games in a row. I mean, that is like such a vote of no confidence. I don't understand what that accomplishes. I don't know what we're doing here. Like what, what are we doing with these young guys? It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. I don't know if Ime is trying to really set up that concrete rotation early on in his season here, trying to really make it clear who the guys he trusts are early on. I don't know if it's a motivational tactic. I really don't know. But 12 minutes of Jabari Parker in that game last night when the Celtics cannot hit a three for the life of them over 12 minutes of Aaron Neesmith. Like for me, it's easy to just swap those minutes out for Jabari and swap them in for Aaron Neesmith. I it's, it's kind of puzzling. I get the veteran aspect. Like you guys said, it's having a good night against Charlotte. He comes in little scoring burst. That's fine. But I just don't really see the benefit of running Jabari Parker over Aaron Neesmith in a game like last night. Also, the Celtics kind of got lucky because the Wizards missed a bunch of shots over Jabari that were like very makeable. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it could have been worse last night with Jabari in the game and uh, the Wizards gifted the Celtics a few there. A- any other just kind of like big picture takeaways from the game itself from you guys? I mean, it's funny because we just saw them play the Wizards and like the games themselves were very different, right? Like the first one felt like an, an effort thing. The second one felt like a, they're missing three-pointers thing. Is there anything else that really jumped off the page from last night that you guys want to touch on here? I'll say this encouraging for this year to last year. I think if they shoot two of 25 or whatever it was 26 last year, I think they lose that game by 15. And I don't think they like give themselves a chance to win that game. So yeah, last night I think was encouraging the defensive, like the effort was there, but also like they, they seem to be in their spots better. It wasn't just effort. Like they seem to like the, the scheme seemed to be in work a lot better. And for that to happen, even without smart on the floor, I think is encouraging. Um, from that standpoint. And because I think when you look at the offense right now and look at their options on the roster, like they should be a defense first team. They certainly have not been in the first five games, but that was the first sign being like, okay, if, if Horford's going to be looking like he's 27 defensively now um, and blocking everyone and holding his own and like against switches, then if everyone else just does their job, they're in a, they're in pretty good shape there. And I don't, here's another thing to throw out to you guys. What, like with the, with their offense issues, like, do you throw Rob Williams to the bench if Horford is looking like this at the five or, or looking at this at the four and just can't space the floor at all with, with this, with this shooting right now? Well, here's, here's a counter question. Are you better off throwing Rob Williams to the bench or are you better off throwing Marcus Smart to the bench? Like, well, I yeah. Yep. I know you're not going to throw Marcus <laughs> Smart to the bench because like that, I feel like that would cause just like endless issues. Schroeder has just objectively looked like a better fit this season. Yep. Yes. You know? Like, I think at some point you are going to have to tweak that starting lineup if these struggles continue. I know, I think Emi Odoka talked about having like a set starting lineup kind of moving through the season, at least early on, but 
I think it makes a lot of sense to make a tweak of some sort, maybe moving Rob to the bench to improve the spacing. Marcus Smart has not shown us anything. So I think he probably is the better option right now. If you do, I don't know how that would work. They talked so much during the preseason and the offseason about putting the ball in Marcus Smart's hands. He's the point guard. He's the facilitator. He's running the show, like running the offense. Is that an awkward thing then? Is the coaching staff going to be hesitant because of that stuff to then move him back? It seemed like Emi Odoka was really set on putting the ball in Marcus Smart's hands quite a bit. So I don't really know how they approach that. But I definitely agree with you real quick on the Horford aspect in terms of takeaways from last night's game. Like Horford has been really, really good. He's moving very well. And I think he's been probably my biggest bright spot over the first couple games, you know, first, what have they played six games now First six games of the year, his defensive activity is really good. And this team has good defensive personnel, but they haven't been all that good on defense. Horford has been consistently very good. So I think that's a great sign. It's like they've wasted him. They've wasted these great defensive yeah. routings for him. Six yeah. blocks last night. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Honestly, the I think one of the big problems for the Celtics is that they're big, like positive takeaways are both big men because Rob has yeah. been really good too. Like he had like, you know, I think kind of one down game, but if you look at most of his stat lines, they're ridiculous. They're like, you know, if, if your best two, you know, if your two brightest spots are both bigs, like, I feel like that's a, that's an issue in 2021. But I think one of my concerning things going forward here is, is when you start to look at the schedule and I know a few people on Twitter were talking about this, including friend of friend of the program on, uh, on every side here, uh danger cart was talking about how just kind of like, the schedule going forward, like they need to win some games like now and in November, like they need to have a really good November because December is tough. And when you look at the start of November, it's like, okay, they have the bulls up next and they have, then they have a very winnable game against the magic, which you, you better beat the magic. You know, they have, then they have the heat, they have the Mavericks, you know, a couple of days later, they have the bucks, like the Hawks, the Lakers, like there are some tough games, the Nets, like there's some tough games coming up in November and they're going to need to have a pretty good November because then they hit the road in December. They have a lot of, you know, they have some tough games against other Eastern conference opponents and the, the Knicks, the Sixers, the Bucks, et cetera. Like it's, if they don't kind of get things together, Richardson last night said they were close. They better be because otherwise they could be pretty significantly below 500 by the time January rolls around. Yeah. This is the time to pick up those early wins no matter what, but when the schedule's set up like this, you're right. It could suddenly have them hitting the new year in a really rough spot, which would not be ideal. You don't need to be trying to crawl back into this from January on. And they could be in that spot if they don't pick it up over the next couple of weeks. Well, they're a better team on the road right now anyway. So that's that's, that's (laughs) very true. Get away from the garden after Monday night. Yeah, this is, I mean, and the East is, has a lot of surprising starts, but yeah, these games matter. Like there, it's not going to be like 500 may not, you know, will certainly not get you a top six seed in the East and may not even get you a, a home game in the play-in. So not that they're necessarily going to be that type of team after a two and four start, but you just, your, your margin of error right now is just, it's just way down. And you talk, you know, surprising starts like that really matters because those surprising starts are the teams that you're going to be battling. If you end up in that play-in range, right? right? Like you're, you're playing yourself out of the range where you could maybe compete with, you know, your Miami's or your, whoever's going to be in like that three to six seed. And it's like, well, and then you've already lost all the teams who are going to be in like that seven to nine range. So it's like, eesh, that's, that's not what you want. I, I do want to throw it out to you guys before we, uh, 
you know, but before we go here, like, I mean, how concerned about the team overall are you? Like, I, I know it's like, it's early. There's a lot of, a lot of issues. I don't know. I guess what, what's kind of your concern level at a two and four spot, especially, especially B-Rob because Krenum and I have. I was just going to say, I'm going to let B-Rob start because Tom and I buried them midweek <laughs> last week. So I will let B-Rob start and I'll go afterward. <laughs> well, considering where did they start last year? Were they like seven and three at one point before things really fell apart for them? I believe so. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah. So you can look it up here and make sure we have that right. But yeah. So I guess we can say from that standpoint, well, that a good start means nothing. <laughs> if you get the hiccups out of the way early, it, it's just for me, it's like, you know, you have to eight and four, eight and four, eight and four. Okay. So eight and four and, and Tatum and Brown were playing out of their mind, but everyone else in that roster was, was like nuts. The more encouraging thing is, is like the supporting cast, a couple of the supporting cast guys are playing better. Tatum and Brown will shoot better. Like I, I, you have confidence on that. I guess like the biggest concern here is like, you know, we, we have a, you know, you don't want to judge Ime and his coaching staff too early, but this is an unproven situation. This is a tough situation with tough decisions for rotations of lineups and stuff like that. And there's not a track record here about, you know, being able to navigate those waters like we had in the past or the Celtics had in the past with, with Brad Stevens. So I think you look at it from that standpoint and that, that just creates just adds the uncertainty of, you know, like you guys have, have hit on like the very much obvious issues this team has on the roster right now. Yeah. I think there are legitimate concerns. There's spacing concerns. There are just personnel concerns. Tom and I kind of hit on this where I think their defense might be a little more limited than I once thought at one point in the off season. So I think there are some pretty legitimate on-court concerns. That being said, after Tom and I destroyed them verbally on uh, Wednesday night, I do, I did try to like take a step back and kind of evaluate it a little more rationally and say, all right, it's still very early, right? I have all, you know, there've been plenty of times where I've jumped on teams too early in the season. And on the other side where I've been too high on teams early in the season and they've come back to earth. So I do think with a new coaching staff, essentially trying to break habits that seems like they, that seemed like they were created last season, I think it's important to give this a little bit of time because I don't think they're as bad as they seem at points over this last couple games. And I don't think they are as good as a lot of people thought they might have been when they made all the acquisitions and stuff over the off season. So I think it's important to give them a little bit of time here because I think breaking some of those habits from last year will take time. And I think just working in with new personnel and a brand new coaching staff is also a, you know, a relatively lengthy process. So I'm going to take a step back from burying them. That being said, I am still very strong on my take that the Wizards are a are the better of two teams that aren't all that good. I still am firm in that take, and I will stand by that until the day I die. The early returns are much <laughs> friendlier to your uh, takes than they are to mine. I'm early afraid. returns are all that matter. That's what I hear. I don't know. <laughs> well, they are when, when there's already been two games between the two. <laughs> yeah, Greta, the... Uh, what, 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 just before we go, like your some, some wizards thoughts from you. I mean, what, what's your take on Montrez Harrell? I feel like he's, oh. he's such a good offensive player and man, he sucks at defense and man, he likes to yap. Like what's, where, where are we at? That right there. That is a perfect wizard. That is a perfect Washington wizard right there. He fits the mold. I mean, the, the guys and all the Lakers, the Lakers didn't want, have actually fit pretty well. It's a fun team. They're a fun group. I haven't enjoyed watching the wizards play basketball in a while. But I have through their first six games this year. They're very enjoyable. They're a fun group. Kyle Kuzma 
is actually fitting this roster quite nicely, and he's not trying to do too much. I've been pretty impressed with the way he's just slipped into basically being a role player on this team and kind of accepted it. Spencer Dimwitty has been pretty good. Like, I think, Tom, better than you expected. I think, like, uh, I, I think he's I think he's been pretty good. Bottom line is they're a fun team, and there are a lot of games over this first six-game stretch that they would have definitely lost last year. Like Wednesday night, Bradley Beal shoots horrifically. No chance they're in a game at all. But I think they're a really fun team. I don't think they're going to finish in the top three in the Eastern Conference like they are right now. But I think they're a good and and fun team that's going to be kind of middle of the road or right around the top of the plan, which is where I penciled them in before the season started. Is that a good thing? Because I feel like, like, I I mean, I feel like, you know, they're kind of on this treadmill. Is like that treadmill going to be enough to keep Beal around? I don't really know how to read Bradley Beal. Yeah. You know, because like if I was Bradley Beal, I would have requested his arm's going to fall off if he gets a vaccine. So yeah, that's true. Yeah. I really don't know how to read Bradley Beal. I thought I, I thought I liked him as, but, but that's a whole nother story. But I, I think that it, he's just a tough guy to read in terms of like what he actually wants career wise. I would have, if I was in his position, I probably would have asked out, <laughs> but I'm not really sure. I'm hoping it is because it seems like he's having a very good time with Montrez Harrell. And the group they have there, they're doing joint press conferences last night. It seems like things are going quite well. So we'll see what the case is, you know, post-All-Star break or something. It could could go back to more accurate Washington Wizards basketball. But we'll see. It's a fun group, and I enjoy watching them, which is not something I could have said last year or the year before. The trade of the year, getting three respectable rotation players for the Albatross contract that is Russell Westbrook. It's true. And Russell Westbrook was he Russell Westbrook was horrific. I, I know he's putting up fun numbers and stuff. He was terrible, terrible for the for the Wizards last year, like awful. And so terrible for the Lakers I, this year. Yeah, exactly. Awful. So I totally agree. Terrible while putting up fun numbers for the Lakers again, and the Lakers are uh, yeah struggling. So yeah. all right, guys. Well, I think we can leave it there. As always, we appreciate everybody for listening. Appreciate everybody for sticking with us through our rants early in the season. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you know where to find us, and we will talk to you all again later this week.